Well, good morning to everyone, and uh, it's good to see see you out here. It's good to see the sun shining after the way it, after the way it clouded up yesterday and uh, so forth. And uh, so, just uh, pray that you'll uh, that you will be praying for us this morning as we continue to look at some things in the Book of Romans. I uh, would mention uh, just uh, publicly here, uh, since this is uh, recorded as as well just uh, asked each and every one of you continue to be in prayer for sister Rutta price and her family as well as the family of brother billy share uh those, those that we've lost this week so just uh, be be with them and pray for them in the in the coming week i want to turn back if we can to the uh, 12th chapter of the book of romans uh we got uh as we've been going through this book of romans and exploring some of the wonderful messages that are there and i thought uh you know different things that i've said along the way as we've been going through the book of romans but where we're at in the book of romans now uh in the 12th chapter and we got down through about the ninth verse or so uh two or three weeks ago now when we were doing this and uh I uh, want to go back to that today, but I, I want to also make this make this comment. And you'll you'll find this in the Apostle Paul's writings uh, throughout several different books. But, but this morning, particularly, I think about in the book of Ephesians, how the the Apostle Paul spent the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians talking what you might call about very theological doctrinal types of things in those first three chapters but he makes a transition in chapter four and begins to talk about practical godliness and daily living and how we're to live in this in this you know how we're to take the principles of our theology and put them into practice in our daily living and so he does the same thing in this roman letter but he probably spends a lot more uh, well i know he did he spends a lot more chapters and time talking theologically Probably because the, the church at Rome was a church that at the time of the writing of this letter, it was a church he had not yet visited. Uh, he had, when he's writing back to the Ephesians or to the Philippians or others, uh, there were churches where he had spent major amounts of time teaching and preaching to those people there. Uh, but the church at Rome, he had never, uh, never visited up to that point. And so he writes, I think, what is a long theological doctrinal statement of things to them to make sure they're on firm ground. And as we've said before, particularly to try to blend this Jewish and Gentile group of people together and to help them to see that they're all sinners uh, doesn't matter if they had the law growing up or if they didn't have the law, if God had written their law, uh, written his laws in their hearts and on their minds, uh, as he talks about the Gentiles. But of course, that applies to all of God's children, having their laws and the laws and, uh, of God written on their heart and in their mind in the new birth. But he's, he's trying to blend this group of folks together. Uh, addressing the particular legalistic type issues that the uh, Jewish people in the congregation have because of their background in the law, and at the same time trying to uh, address probably the pride issues in the 11th chapter that the uh, Gentiles might have of saying, hey, the gospel's now come to us. You used to think it was all exclusively to you, uh, but now we have the gospel as well. And so there was probably a pride factor involved in them uh, there at the church. And so Paul's trying to blend this congregation and bring them together. You know, and it's like Brother Derek mentioned this morning, uh, even among this congregation here at Zion's Rest, we all come from a different, different families and different backgrounds and different raisings and different life experiences and all those things things yet in the gospel 
we all come together as one family, one body, one church here together uh, and, and function as a family and and part of our part of our job, and we'll talk about that this morning because it gets very practical starting with the twelfth chapter of the book of Romans and end of chapter thirteen, which I hope to cover this morning as well. Uh, but it gets very practical about how we're to live out this salvation that God has worked in us and how He's worked His faith in us through the writing of His laws and how we work that out in our day-to-day living. You know, and that makes it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your ra- what your raising was, what your family is. Uh, you know, uh, I would just say it doesn't matter what your color of skin is, what continent you come from, or anything else. We all become one family in Christ Jesus, and we all have one set of family guidelines that we're to go by and to learn by and to serve by while we're here. So <clears throat> as Paul gets to the end of this uh, 11th chapter of the book of Romans, and we're just going to read through again through through some of this in the first part of the 12th chapter to get to where I I want to uh, pick back up this morning. Uh, But he tells us, uh, beginning in the the, uh, 29th uh, verse of the 11th chapter, that the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. So as we get into the 12th chapter, he begins to talk about some of the gifts that God has given to his people uh, in the church, and how the the and I would particularly think about the gift of salvation is without repentance for God also, and the gift of uh, uh, that God gives to the ministry is without repentance. So it's incumbent upon a man who's called of God to be a minister to use the gift that God has given him, because God hasn't taken the gift away from him. Uh, we can, uh, as we mentioned before, we can lose the joy of the gift of salvation. We cannot. Uh, we cannot lose the gift of salvation. We can certainly lose the joy of it and the pleasure of it by going out here and living any old way in this world in which we're living uh, and not and fail even as <coughs> David mentions in that 51st Psalm. He says, returning me to the joy of thy salvation. David had lost the joy of his salvation by committing sin with Bathsheba. God had brought judgment upon David. David was feeling the weight of all of that and feeling further and further away from God because his sin had separated between him and God and caused him to lose the joy of the daily, uh, the pleasures of salvation that he had in, in God. So he says, for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance, <coughs> for ye, for as ye in times past have not believed in God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief, even so have these also now not believed that through your mercy they may also they also may obtain mercy. And I, I'm not going to go back and explain all these verses. Uh, I'll let you go back and listen to some of the sermons that we preached on this. But he says, For God hath concluded them all, all people, Jews and Gentiles, he hath concluded them all <clears throat> in uh, unbelief that he might have mercy upon them all. So uh, there, there wasn't a, a, an elite group of Jews. There wasn't an elite group of Gentiles. They were all in unbelief. <laughs> and God had found had mercy on all of those that he had uh, chosen in Christ. So he says, for the depth, oh, the depth. Listen to the praise of this. I love this reading something like this. Oh, the depth of the riches of both the wisdom and the knowledge of God. <coughs> How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? Uh, That's a good place for many of us to stop and give pause sometime. 
Who who of us, Brother Dave, Derek was talking this morning, uh, and we kind of get into this a little bit here in the 12th chapter, uh, but who has known the mind of God? Who can say we know exactly what God's thinking in every situation? The answer is none of us. Uh, who has known the mind of the Lord? I, I know as we... We tried to pray in the in the last number of number of days and number of weeks, you know, trying to pray for Brother Bill and uh, trying to pray for Brother Tony and trying to pray for these others that are out here, you know. And I would love to say that I could just firmly assure you that it's God's will that each and every one of them recover. But you know, I can't I can't give you that assurance, uh, and uh, and I don't know what the mind of God is in each and every one of these situations. Uh, I just know that we're to pray uh, because God has commanded us to pray. And we're to pray and hope that God will be gracious and merciful in these situations. Uh, and if and if not, uh, you know, God may be being merciful in ways of taking these people on to heaven, uh, so that He can be, so that they can be with Him uh, and not have to continue to suffer uh, in this old world in which we're living and in which we suffer through uh, daily. So there's mercy in ways sometimes that we don't think about uh, and that doesn't want to come into our everyday day thinking. Uh, uh, I was telling. Uh, <clears throat> I was telling the folks yesterday uh, a little bit uh, uh, and, and, and reminding them of the time when David uh, 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 had committed sin with Bathsheba. Uh, and the result of that uh, coming together uh, was a little child uh, was conceived in Bathsheba. And uh, when Nathan the prophet, you can go read this in uh, uh, first, Second Samuel, I believe, yeah, Second Samuel chapter twelve. You can go read about this. Uh, uh, and the prophet Nathan comes and confronts David with his sin. And David has to confess, you know, he says, uh, David wanted to know, he told him a story about a man who had robbed, who had robbed his neighbor of his, of, his, of his sheep and his vineyard and so forth. And, and David says, you let me know who that is and I'll take care of him. Nathan, Nathan looks at, at David and says, David, thou art the man. And David had to, <laughs> David had to, con had to confess right there. Yeah, you know, you're, you're right. I'm I, I, I'm the I'm the one that took another man's wife, and then I had that man himself killed on the field of battle, and de uh, in order to try to cover up the sin that he had done, uh, he had that man killed in battle, had him put right into the front line of service, uh, so that he would die. And and Nathan comes to David and tells David, uh, he says, David, uh, he said, the so because you used the sword on Uriah, the sword shall not depart from your house. Uh, and uh, he said uh, uh, because you had another man's wife. Your wives are going to be had by other men. And he, he brings all of this down and he says, and the little child that's, uh, that Bathsheba has, uh, uh, it's going to die. It shall die. And the, and, the, and the Bible records that David went and fell on his face and fasted and prayed laying prostrate on the ground for the next seven days, weeping and crying and praying that God would spare the child. <clears throat> oh, and he told David, this was part of the sentence of this thing. He says, David, you're worthy. He didn't say this, but I'm, I'm adding a little bit to this. But David was worthy of death because of his sin. And God, through Nathan, told David, says, David, you're not going to die, but the child shall die. Sometimes we don't think about what the result of our sins might be. And, and David went and fell on his face and fasted and prayed for seven days. God spare this child. 
And his servants tried to come in and get him up and say, you need to eat. <clears throat> David refused to get up and go eat. He laid there on the ground for seven days. And at the end of that seven days, the child died. And now the servants are like, oh, he wouldn't get up for all of this. What's he going to eat? And I'm, 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 I'm adding words into this. You, you go read it. But I think this is the essence of what he's trying to say in there in that 12th chapter. He says, uh, they, they were thinking, he, wouldn't, he fasted and prayed and cried and wept for seven days. What's he going to do when we come tell him that the child has died? <clears throat> and so David saw and heard his servants over there whispering on the side, and he sensed the child was dead. And he said, is he dead? And they said, yes, he has died. David immediately rose up, washed his face, changed his clothes, and went to worship God. And then went back to his house and called his servants to bring him food that he might eat. And, and the servants looked at him and said, we are confused. <laughs> you were weeping and crying and mourning while the child was, was, was dying and, and sick. Uh, and uh, now that he's dead, you rise up, clean up, go to, go to worship and come to eat. David looks at him and says, while the child yet lived, there was hope that God would be gracious. He said, I cannot go to him he cannot come to me again, but I can go to him. I'll tell you what an attitude of, of, of for us to have. Pray. Yes, pray that God might be gracious in our situation and our circumstances. But you know what? If, God, if God's answer is no, <laughs> if God's answer is no, rise up clean up and go and worship God and praise Him because God knows all the things you and I do not know. I'll tell you, that takes a, that gives you a peace, my friends, uh, uh, that uh, is not comprehensible to the, nor to the normal mind of men in the world uh, and it wasn't comprehensible to, to David's servants. They looked at him and said, what's wrong with this guy? And he's, he was like, God is all wise, all knowing and gracious and God was gracious to me uh, in many, many ways, and I deserve death myself, <clears throat> and I'll still go and worship God because he's worthy. Even in times of our sorrow and our times of sacrifice, God is worthy of all of our worship. Okay, so I've, I've taken, a little, uh, taken a little detour there this morning, but it says, God has concluded, verse 32 of Romans 11, God has concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy on, upon all. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? <clears throat> or who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed or paid back to him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. God, who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has first given to God? You know, a lot of people 
A lot of people think that somehow they first give it to God. God, God owes them something back in return. Who is first given to God and, and uh, is due uh, to be, be paid back? He says, hasn't happened. He says, then he starts and he puts this congregation of Jews and Gentiles together again in my mind. And he doesn't, he doesn't, he's not addressing those of you who know the law, those of you who have been graciously brought to a knowledge of Christ through the faith of, of God that has, he's written in your hearts and your minds. He doesn't do that. He looks at them now after giving them all of these theological statements of uh, wild branches being grafted in and natural branches being cut off of that olive tree. He looks at them and says, I beseech you therefore, brethren... I beg you, brothers and sisters in Christ. That's where he's coming from. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present to that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable. And we mentioned this a few weeks ago. It's your rational. That word reasonable means it's your rational, logical service. It's the logical, rational thing to do to serve God, uh, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. And he says, I beg you, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Will you, you know, so the question might be in your mind, and he, and he answers some of this in the next few verses, but the, the question might be, how do I present my body a living sacrifice? Oh, okay. I, we'll get to some of that, I think, uh, uh, because uh, he begins to tell us here how to live in our bodies. How to live. And, and in we doing that, you know, the self, how do you sacrifice? Well, I think, again, we could go back to the 16th chapter of the book of Matthew. Uh, and we mentioned this a few weeks ago. Uh, but, it, uh, but it's uh, uh, appropriate. Uh, uh, Jesus has, was meeting with his disciples uh, in, uh, at Caesarea Philippi. And they asked him there. Uh, uh, you know, they, he was talking about, uh, whom do men say that I am? Christ asked him the question, whom do men say that I am? And some says, uh, uh, thou art... Uh, uh, some say that thou art John the Baptist. Others say that you're <coughs> Elias or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Uh, and he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answered and said unto him, uh, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and Jesus answered and said unto Peter, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto, revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. If you know, if you truly know in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Christ, the Son of the living God, it's because God has revealed it to you uh, in your heart and in your mind. And, and, he, and he goes on this, and he says... Uh, Verse 21, he says, From that time forth, Jesus uh, began to, uh, from that time uh, forth, began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and, and be killed and be raised again the third day. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. And he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Uh, thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Uh, then, he look, then he looks at his disciples again and says, If any man will come after me, let him, uh, let him deny himself and take up his cross 
and follow me. You know what? You know, when we, when we look at Romans 12 and he says, I beseech you, I beg you, present your bodies a living sacrifice, we're talking about self-denial. We're talking about denying the, you know, what do you want to do? Or what do you think you need? Well, as Brother Derek has mentioned, as we've talked about this morning, part of the great part of being in a church, in a church family, it's not all about you. (laughs) It's all about serving the others that are here and helping them in their time of need. Uh, When there's a death in the family, a phone call, a visit, a card, uh, being there at the graveside just to let them know that you care. It's about preparing a meal for the family, as some of you did, and prepared it and, and, and served them and helped them. That's what, uh, uh, t- presenting your bodies a living sacrifice. Because yesterday, and I'll just use yesterday as an example, uh, you know, to say, what else could you have been doing yesterday? Well, there was a, a thousand things you could have been doing, but you sacrificed your time and presented your body as a living sacrifice to be there for somebody else. And I'll tell you, that's what serving the Lord is all about. That's what Christ did for you. He could have been in heaven, my friends, uh, sitting at the throne of glory uh, and enjoying a a good old day uh, uh, with all the angels singing uh, all around. uh, But he left aside glory and presented his body a living sacrifice to you, for you and me, uh, that we might be with him one day. And so Jesus began to teach, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever shall will save his life shall lose it. You've got to lose some things in this old world to really have the, the true uh, joys of your salvation uh, uh, here. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. You're going to find something, uh, a peace, a happiness, a joy. You're going to find that you have more friends than you ever knew you would could have, uh, and a more more uh, uh, people that really care about you uh, than uh, uh, by presenting your body a living sacrifice and serving others. Uh, even when it means you don't get to do all the things you want to do, all right, or you thought you wanted to do. And, and that's, what, that's what it's about. Uh, and so he says, uh, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, uh, <clears throat> by the mercies of God. Now you think about this group of Jews and Gentiles at Rome, uh, or you think about this group of people here, or God's people, wherever they may be, uh, coming together. Uh, there are different backgrounds, different raisings, different teachings, and now suddenly uh, Paul is, is writing to them and says, I beseech you, I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable, rational service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. Don't... It, you know, it doesn't take, uh, as a, and, uh, and this, you know, you, you see this kind of stuff a lot of times. Laura was over at the house the other day, and she was, uh, the, the family was together for Christmas, and, and 
her and Alan had wandered downstairs, and she was telling me she got to looking at the at the bookcase down there, you know, the, my collection of stuff. And she says, "You've got a number of leadership books down there." And uh, and I said, "Well, yeah. Over the years of working on on the job, uh, and uh, and uh, and going back some thirty years ago, uh, uh, down in uh, Tuscaloosa and other places, uh, I sp I would spend as much as two weeks uh, working with men, uh, men and women <coughs> from Southern Company." doing leadership training for first-line supervisors. Uh, I did that for about three or four years uh, uh, as, I, as I began to, <clears throat> really, after I had stepped out in a sense of the front-line uh, management role that I'd had for a number of years, I stepped away from that because God had called me into the ministry, uh, and I moved back to Jasper, Alabama, and during that time, God found this little hiding place for me uh, uh, within the company uh, where I was become, became a trainer and a teacher of others uh, uh, so that I, I wasn't going to all these plants and doing all this stuff. Anyway, uh, uh, so the leadership books down there, and, uh, and one of the things uh, that, it, that it talks about uh, is Savina a servant leader. There's all types of leadership roles that people can can have. And he says, uh, "Don't be conformed to this world." Well, one of the things that uh, that it, that it, you learn in one of these books, you know, people they got all kinds of stories. You know, don't don't teach him, don't give a man a fish. Teach a man to fish. You know, then he'll have fish all of his life, and you can't just continue. Well, and it also has little little sayings in there, things like this. Uh, uh, even dead fish can float downstream. Uh, so you know, being conformed form to this world is easy. You just got to be a dead fish and float down the stream, go along with everybody else, do what everybody else is doing. Uh, it takes some vim, vigor, and vitality and energy to fight against the stream and swim upstream. Boy, the old salmon, the, the old salmon that goes back to spawn, man, they're fighting uh, against roaring currents and waterfalls and everything else to jump and to get back to that place. Uh, uh, it takes a lot of energy to do that. Uh, if they die, it doesn't take any energy to float downstream. Uh, but he says, be not conformed to this world. Don't be molded into, and, and I say that's a lot of things, not only in what you do, it's in the way you think. Don't be conformed to this world in your mode of thinking. Uh, God has given us a book uh, to help mold our thinking. You, you think about, again, think about, and I'm, I'm trying not to dive off back into this too far again, but you know there's a lot of teaching in all this. I've been, uh, I've been going through this book of Romans, and sometimes I go back over verses that I've already covered, but you know there's a whole lot of teaching in all of these verses, and I think of things that I didn't think of uh, three weeks ago or whatever when we're covering this. Uh, you know, being molded, you think about these Jews and Gentiles here. Well, the, the Gentiles had a way of living in their community. They had a, they had a way of, uh, of following after uh, false gods. Uh, uh, they had a way, a culture, a life, and so forth. And the Jews had a culture. They had a culture of following after the law and doing all these things. Paul is writing this letter and trying to bring them all together in one, in Christ, uh, in, in their way of thinking and doing. And he says, don't be conformed to the world, Jews. Uh, don't be conformed to the world, Gentiles. And I would say to you here today, don't be conformed to your raising and those around you, those in your school, those on your job. Don't let the, don't let the crudest, cruelest, ugliest, 
whatever person that you work with and work around, don't let them be your leader. <laughs> don't let them mold your thinking. Uh, don't, you know, how many times do you hear people say, so-and-so did such and such to me, and I, that's okay, I'll take care of them one of these days. Uh, is that molding your thinking? Is that is that how you think today because you've heard it so many times? Uh, uh, that's not what the Bible tells us to do. Don't be conformed to this world. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. <coughs> I can't tell you what, I can't tell you the mind of God. I can't tell you what he's going to do in each and every situation that's going to come up, but I can tell you generally there's a way of thinking uh, that we're to have about how we conduct our lives uh, that we can know as much as possible, that we can prove, and we said this a few weeks ago, prove to who? Uh, I'm not proving anything to God. God already knows it all, right? And I'm not, and it'd be, and I'd do very well or might do a little bit to prove something to you. But sometimes I need to be convinced myself that God's ways are the right ways. And so I'm to prove it to myself. How do I do it? By doing what God says. That's how I prove it to me. I prove God's ways are the best ways by actually doing it. And I find out, hey, it worked. This works. You know what? Uh, uh, you know, the, you, you go back. You go back over to. Uh, uh, to uh, I'm thinking back to a verse in Proverbs: "A soft answer turneth away wrath, or turneth away anger. Turn away wrath. I think it is. Uh, a soft answer turneth away wrath." You say, "Well, how did how did Solomon know that?" Well, God had revealed it to him somewhere along the way, and I bet somewhere along the way, old Solomon had tried it out. <clears throat> Some. So somebody, somebody, somebody was angry at him, and Solomon says, "Hey, God, God says, let's just uh, instead of me just jumping back in their face like they jumped in mine, maybe I'll just try being nice to them." <clears throat> and, he, and then he said, "Hey, it works. <laughs> I proved it. It works. Uh, I didn't get back in their face and uh, like they jumped in mine. And you know what?" A soft answer turneth away wrath. That's a proverb. I'm going to write that down. Uh, you know, however, however all of that came to be, okay? Uh, but he, he says, For I say unto you that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say unto you through the grace given to me to every man that's among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, uh, but to think soberly. Think, think clear-headed. Be clear-headed about yourself. You know, uh, uh, one of the hardest things sometimes to do is, uh, in, you know, as a supervisor on, on the job so, is to sit down and try to be uh, uh, honest with people about how they're doing their job. <laughs> you know, it's tough. You know, especially if you got, you know, if you got a guy that's a great guy, good person, you know, well, that's pretty easy. Uh, but, you know, you got somebody that's not doing all they need to be doing. Sometimes it's hard to look them in the eye and say, you know what, you, you, need, to, you need to tighten up there, buddy. And uh, here's some things you need to be working on. And here's some observations that I've made. Here's some things that would help you out. And uh, uh, that's hard. But you know what's even harder than that? Sitting down looking yourself in the face and, and looking yourself in the mirror and saying, you know what, there's some places you need to tighten up, Charles. There's some places you need to do better. Uh, there's some places where you need to get a little bit more in line. He, he says, for I say through the grace given to me, to every man that's among you, uh, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God had dealt to every man 
the measure of faith. Now, he's not talking, uh, let's just get this straight. He's not talking this uh, measure of faith to every man. He's not talking to every single person that lives out here in the world because every single person in the world doesn't have a measure of faith uh, uh, because uh, as he tells those in 2 Thessalonians chapter uh, 3 and about verse 2 or so in there, he says something like this. Uh, he says, Pray for me uh, uh, that the gospel might have free course uh, uh, as it has with you. And he says, and that I might be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. Paul didn't want to be delivered to unreasonable and wicked men. He wanted to be delivered from them. Uh, and uh, and so uh, he tells us here that we ought to, he, who's he talking to? Brethren. Brothers and sisters in Christ. That's who he's talking to here in this portion of Scripture. And he says that brothers and sisters, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. Uh, you know, uh, ego can be a thing that can get you in trouble. <laughs> uh, uh, Self-pride. thinking, uh, And he addresses this a little later on. Thinking you're better than other people. Uh, that kind of thinking, uh, he tells us here, he says, uh, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. But think soberly. Think clear-headedly about, uh, about yourself. Why? God's dealt to you a measure of faith so that you can understand what your faults are. So God has given you faith so that you can read his word, understand where your weaknesses are, where your strength, where your forte is, uh, where, your, where your strengths are, where your fortress is. But he's also given you some understanding of where your weaknesses are. And he's telling you, Work on the weaknesses. Uh, and, he, and he says it this way. For as, many, for as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. Uh, why? Every member of this body uh, doesn't have the same gifts and same talents. Uh, but you know what? Together as a body, we got a bunch of talents. Uh, and we got a lot of gifts. Uh, and we are, we're able to help others in time of need, uh, even though we might not all do exactly the same thing to help. Isn't that great? Uh, uh, that uh, some people, some people have, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, some people have the gift of, of hospitality and kindness and helping. Some people are, are blessed with uh, uh, great cooking skills. Some people know how to say just the right thing at the right moment, at the right time. And that's a gift. It's a blessing of God. And you know what he calls on us here and he, as he talks about these gifts? If God has given you such a gift, be sober about, about yourself. Don't think how more... But recognize what you got and where it came from and use it. Use it to help the body, to help the, the body of Christ here. Use what God has given you. And he says, for as we have many members in one body and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that's given us, whether prophecy let us prophesy, whether it's uh, according to the proportion of faith, or ministry let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, that word exhort is encouragement, uh, he that exhorteth on exhortation, and he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, uh, uh, he that ruleth with diligence, and he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness." You're forgiving somebody, do it cheerfully. <laughs> You're having mercy on somebody, do it cheerfully. And don't do it like a grudge, like, you. well, okay, I guess I'll be kind to them on this occasion, but 
boy, down in down inside, I really don't want to, you know, kind of a deal. Be cheerful uh, in your uh, in your mercy. Let love be without dissimulation. And this, I, and I may end up spending more time on all of this than I was thinking. I, would, I thought I'd get to the 13th chapter. I really wanted to, and maybe we will. But he says, let love be without dissimulation. That word dissimulation we mentioned a few weeks ago, don't let your love be false. Uh, dissimulation is a, is, a, is a fake put on. Uh, also, uh, as we went, as I went back and studied some on this word love, the word love here that's used uh, is agape, uh, uh, agapeo uh, type love. Uh, that's a, in one sense, it's a self-sacrificing love. Let your self-sacrificing love not be fake. Okay, and it's also mentioned here, and when you go back and and I did this, I I'd not done this before, uh, but I went back and looked at the root word of this, and it says it's a social and moral type of love. And I thought, okay, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, moral in what sense? Is What sense is this a moral love? Well, in a sense, moral love is this. Now, we have a moral obligation to God to love certain th- a certain way and certain things. You know, if, if it wasn't a moral obligation to God, we probably wouldn't do it. And, and you go back and frame this, uh, and uh, I will do that real quickly uh, uh, to put this in a, in a maybe in a, a good frame. Uh, we go back over to the Sermon on the Mount, and y'all probably know where I'm going, uh, but Jesus tells, tells us there in the Sermon on the Mount that we are to love our enemies. Uh, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be a slobbering, loving, affectionate, kissing, and hugging with my enemies, okay? Uh, that's a, a phileo a bro- or even a brotherly love. I don't have a brotherly love with my, with my enemies, but I am to have a moral obligation to God to love my enemies. So, so you think about, you, you kind of put this maybe in the frame of a verse that I've just loved over the years because it, it has meant a lot to me. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, in verse, uh, and I think it's verse 31, 32, he says, uh, uh, <clears throat> let all, in Ephesians, he says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So it gets down to our forgiveness of one another is not always rooted in wanting how we, you know, forgiveness is not always rooted in how you feel. It's in the fact that we have an obligation to God to forgive people because God forgave us, not because of us, but for Christ's sake. All right, so now translate that, if you will, over into our love of our enemies. So he says, uh, uh, Ye have heard it been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thy enemy. Uh, verse 43 of Matthew 5. Uh, and he says, verse 44, But I say unto you, You've heard it said, but I say unto you. But I, Jesus says, I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use and persecute you. You're going to find almost those same exact words laid out here in Romans 12 about our conduct, okay? Uh, and so he says, bless them, bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. You say, well, how can I do that? 
This person went around and told lies and stories about me. How is it I'm going to be good to them and bless them? You're going to do it <coughs> through a moral obligation to God for how you conduct yourself. You've got an obligation to God as His child. Uh, how you act toward others. Uh, and because we're representing his family. How did God, uh, and I'm going to put, how did Jesus Christ treat those that persecuted him? Well, one way, he did, one way he treated them was this. He says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. He could have cursed them, my friends, there on the cross, but instead he said, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. They don't understand what they're doing. And there's a lot of times you and I need to go back and our love for our enemies is to be along the lines of bless them, uh, <clears throat> bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be children of your Father which is in heaven. You know, uh, and you'd say, well, why did he say it that way? Well, and I'm, I, you know, I'd be the first to say, I can't be 100% sure why, that you may be the children of your father in heaven. You know what? I can look around, and many of us might look around and say, well, my daddy did it this way. My, da my daddy did so-and-so. My daddy did it like this. My daddy did it like that. Well, you got a father that's in heaven, and he, he, he's calling on you, don't do it like daddy did it or like great grandpa did it or like uncle so-and-so or anybody else. Do it like your heavenly father would have you do it. You've been born into a new family. Uh, start acting on like and taking on the characteristics of that family. So he tells us here, uh, <clears throat> let love be without dissimulation. A uh, this is a moral obligation of love that we have to those that are around us as God's children. So he says, uh, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor, hate that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. <coughs> You've heard, uh, you know, how many of us have told our kids, you know, boy, stay away, from, stay away from this bad thing or this bad thing. Try to hang around good people. Paul uses almost that same terminology to the church here at Rome. He says, abhor evil. Evil gets you in trouble. Evil leads you down the wrong path. Evil hanging around people that, that are doing that rubs off on you. <laughs> and you begin to act more like it. He said, abhor that which is evil. Cleave or cling to that to, which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. You're, you, we, are to prefer each other over ourselves. I'm to prefer that I do something for you versus trying to do something for me. And if we're all, and I've, I've said this, uh, I said this to a, a bunch of married couples over the years, sitting down and talking to them before they got married, and I'd tell them, I'd say, you know what? Here's something I'll tell you as a married couple. If you will personally spend your time trying to please the other one, try, if you're the husband, try to spend, think about how can I please my wife. And if this, and the, you know, now that's a situation that could be taken advantage of, right? Okay. But if both parties are doing that, 
if the husband is trying to please the wife and if the wife is trying to please the husband. Now, I told him, I said, I'll, the biggest argument you'll probably have during the course of, the, of your marriage is going to be arguing about because both of you are trying to say, well, I'll do whatever you want to do. No, I'll do whatever you want to do. I'll, no, I'll do whatever you want to do. And I'll do you know, so their argument becomes over not what I want, but over both of them trying to say, no, you choose. No, you, no, no, I'm trying to please you. <clears throat> prefer one another. We, we here even in the church should prefer that we try to please each other and do and not for, again, self-denial. That's a, there's a whole process here of talking about not serving self but serving each other. There's an example. The Bible says the way that we, that we serve God here in this world is by serving our brothers and sisters, serving each other. And so he tells us, uh, uh, let your love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. <clears throat> and he says, in honor, in honor, preferring one another, not slothful in business. And I think what he's trying to say is uh, don't, don't be slow uh, about doing what you're going to do. You need to love somebody who prefers one another. <clears throat> don't be lazy about all that. And he gets to that again over in 13 where he says, <clears throat> it's high time for you folks to awake, to wake up. You better sleep. Get up and get going. And, and so he says, uh, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, on fire. I know, Brother Derek, I appreciated what he said as we got through at the end of the Bible study this morning. You know, we were on a little bit of a sad note because we're talking about things that have happened over the last week. And he says, uh, get up, cheer up, it's time to worship God. Uh, that ought to be our, we ought to be so fervent, so on fire, uh, that every day we're thinking about, I need to set, make sure I've got time to pray. I'm praying for the church. I'm praying for each other. I'm praying for people that are sick. Uh, I'm on fire. I can't wait for Sunday to get here. You know, we're somebody. I can't wait for Friday evening. You know, thank God it's Friday. Uh, well, I can't wait for Friday to get here. I'm off. Of, I can't wait for Saturday. There's ball game. No, I can't wait for Sunday because I want to go worship my God who has seen me through another week. That would be. Would that be on fire, fervent in spirit? He says, <clears throat> not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, <clears throat> patient. In tribulation, Whew. I'll tell you, again, all of these things are things that we as children of God need to be doing. Rejoicing in hope. Uh, there's, a, there's a rejoicing, uh, and, uh, and I saw somebody else had said this somewhere, said, you know, it's easy to rejoice when everything's going good, uh, but when you, when you got tribulation and trial and problems, continue to say, I'm rejoicing in the Lord. I'm rejoicing in the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. You know, that's a, that's a, you know, and I go back over this earlier, earlier in the same Roman letter. In Romans chapter 5, he tells us that being, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, we glory in tribulations. Really? <laughs> you do, Paul? <laughs> He says, we glory in tribulations. Also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Trials of life teach you to depend on God. And depending on God, and, 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 and I'll say, depending on God and, 
and waiting on God. Sometimes, you, you know, I don't have the answer. You don't have the answer. We don't have the solution to the trouble, the trials, the problems. We pray and we pray and we pray and we wait on God. And while we're waiting, we learn patience. And, you know, and it's like, it's like as, uh, as, and I've used this before, but you think about the patience of Abraham. The Bible talks about it. One of the one of the finally hit me, <clears throat> finally hit me several years ago, in the tenth chapter of the book of Hebrews. One of the last things it says before it gets into this hall of what I call the hall of fame of the saints of faith over there in Hebrews chapter eleven, it talks about patience, patience. And I thought Abraham learned patience as he waited over there in Canaan's land, a land that he didn't grow up in. A land that God said, you go over there and I'll give this land to you. A, a land over there where God told Abraham that he and his wife would have a child. But 25 years passed by and, uh, <clears throat> and the time of life for them to have children had passed them by. Abraham was over there not only learning that God's word was true and faithful. He was learning patience and waiting on God to fulfill his word. And you and I live a life of patience, I hope. Uh, my hope would be, you know, our biggest hope in this, in this life is that when we die, uh, that uh, the death, death is not all there is, and that, that Christ is going to come again one day in the clouds and going to come on that white horse uh, yelling hallelujah <laughs> with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and he's coming to get us, right? But we do patiently wait for it. And so he tells us here uh, in this in this Rome, in this Romans uh, chapter twelve, he says, "Not slothful in business, uh, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant <coughs> in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the saints." That's part of what we're to be doing. We're to be looking out after God's people. If they, they have a need, dig into, you know, maybe, maybe their need is they need you to come over and fix a leaky water pipe for them. You know, I don't know. Uh, but maybe what they need is, uh, you, you know, dig into your pocketbook a little bit and distribute to them. Maybe somebody needs some clothes. Maybe somebody needs some uh, other things that you have that you can share. Distributing to the necessity of the saints Given to hospitality. Uh, you know, like we, me and my wife were talking about yesterday. said, you know, hospitality is not always welcoming people into your house. Sometimes hospitality is doing, just doing things for other people and being a hospitable person, a friendly, outgoing, doing for others person. And he says, uh, given to hospitality. That ought to be, if we were sitting down and coming up with a list of things, uh, uh, you know, for me and you. And I said, well... You know, these people at this church, at this body, they're hospitable. They're kind. They're caring. They distribute to help other people. Uh, they, they're instant in prayer. Uh, they know how to love their enemies, even when they're, they've been treated wrong and done wrong and said wrong and lied about. To, you know, somebody goes around lying about me and telling stories and ruining, trying to ruin my reputation. Is my job to go out there and try to see if I can do the same to them? No. Uh, my job is to continue to try to love them and care for them as much as possible. And he gets to that. I like that. Uh, as much as possible. So he, he goes on and says, Bless them that persecute you. 
You remember what Jesus said over there in that fifth chapter? Go back and read it. Bless them that curse you. He says, bless them that persecute you. Bless and curse not. You know, it's one thing uh, to be a blessing uh, to somebody, but to bless and curse not. Um, and he finally goes on um, and says, rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that, do, that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. You know, one of our greatest things here in the church, we ought to be of the same mind. We ought to be thinking alike. The Bible says over in the, over in the uh, uh, fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians, again, I believe it says over there that we're to be of one mind, and that the, uh, the saints were of one mind and one accord. Uh, that's the old joke, right? That uh, they were all in one accord. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> so he, he tells us here, you know, be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. You say, what does that mean, Brother Charles? That means when the, when the guy that's homeless and doesn't have anything comes wandering in here on the beach, we're to, be, we're to treat them as much as possible just like I would treat any one of you or, if I, or just like I would treat the, the president or the king if he came in here and sat down on the beach. I'm to treat this person of low estate just like I'd treat anybody else. It doesn't matter how they're dressed, what they're done. He says, uh, mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise. He uses the word in your own conceits. I'm going, to, I'm going to word it this way. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't be wise in your own ego. Don't be wise in who you are. Be not wise in your own conceits. conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men if it be possible. I love the fact that he said this because, you know, some people you can't get along with. I mean, you know, I'm talking about, talking about Paul says, love your enemies, be kind, don't be, treat them the way they treat you, and so forth. But he says here, if it be possible, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. <clears throat> but you know, I'm glad he said, if it be possible. Some people just won't let you won't let you be at peace with them. <laughs> no matter what you do, how you act, doesn't mean you're to act differently toward them if they won't be peaceable uh, with you. But as much as in you is, live peaceably with all men. Uh, and he says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay saith the Lord. Now, I love doing this, and I've, lear I've learned to love doing this, uh, and I'm not going to turn over there this, this morning, but when you read in these letters of the Apostle Paul, places where it says, for as it is written, do you a little, work, do you a little study and find out where it's written. Uh, one place it's written, and I, I said I wasn't going to do this. Y'all give me just a minute. Uh, we'll turn over to Leviticus chapter 19. Uh, Leviticus, Leviticus 19 and verse 18, I think it is, and uh, and and the reason I want to do this is or there's there's a reason. So he tells us here in Leviticus 19 and 18, he says, "Thou shalt not avenge nor bear grudge against any against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself." I am the Lord. Okay, so that's one place where it says, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear grudge. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 32 and about verse 35, I think it is, and it says this, To me belongeth vengeance and recompense. Their foot shall slide in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things that shall come upon them 
make haste. Now there's another verse in the in the Proverbs chapter 24 that says similar things to these two verses. But Paul takes those verses, and I love this because I find it much like what Jesus did at times. He takes that Old Testament concept and brings it to New Testament thinking for us. Paul says this, as it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. And, you know, for years, I, I, I thought, okay, I thought, you know, when you do good to people that have been doing bad things to you, why, well, you'll just burn them up, you know, by, that, you know, but that is, I, I found an alternate meaning to this, okay? And I thought, huh, well, that's interesting. Back during the days of the Apostle Paul, I'm trying to bring this 12th chapter to a close, okay? During the days of the Apostle Paul, you know, they didn't have, a, they didn't have matches, <laughs> They didn't have lighters that you go around and light a fire. So as men were traveling, they had to take up some coals from the from the fire of the night and put they you had them a little bucket or something with them, you know, and they'd take that those coals with them. And probably like a lot of people in the like we saw in Africa with a lot of people, you know, toting their water or their food or whatever else, they toted it on their head a lot of times, you know. But it, they, they had to carry their coals of fire with them from place to place. And giving somebody coals of fire would have been considered being a kindness to them. So he says, we're to give this. Uh, we're to, if, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. You'll be like you're doing, giving him something that's going to feed him and nourish him and also give him something to cook his food on for the next, next night. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I'm going to close with this comment. If it wasn't possible for evil to overcome us, Paul would not have said, be not overcome of evil, uh, but overcome. You know, there's people out there that teach you're a child of God, you're born again of the Spirit of God. You don't sin anymore. Well, that's, that's an abomination to the Word of God for one thing. Uh, but he says, overcome, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. If it weren't possible for evil to get the best of all of us at times, by not doing a lot of these things that he's told us to do here, Paul wouldn't have given you that warning. And he also wouldn't have told you that it's possible to overcome evil with good if you couldn't do it. So, so you, you keep on living the kind of life. doesn't mean everybody's going to love you. Everybody's going to care for you. Uh, but we've got a family that we represent of God while we're here. And let us do the best we can to represent that family in our on our jobs, in our marriages, in training our children, in our co-workers, in, uh, in our husbands and wives, and in our community. Let everybody look at you and say, you know what? <clears throat> there may be people today that say, you know what? I don't agree with those folks up there at the Primitive Baptist Church. You know, some of the things they teach about salvation and so forth. I just don't get it, don't believe it. But you know what they ought to say about each and every one of us? They ought to look at us. You know, I don't necessarily agree with them. Maybe feel, I hope they wouldn't say that. But if they did say, they don't agree with us theologically, what they should be able to say is, you know what, that's some of the finest people I've ever met. The way they act, 
the way they speak, the way they conduct themselves, the way they carry on, the way the kind, the kindness and the care they show when there's been a death in the community, things like that ought to be our mark. That ought to be that ought to be what you know. Back during the day, why do I keep dragging on? But you know, back during the day, people people would say, you know what, uh, <clears throat> you know, people people would do business deals on the shake of a hand, right? Why? Because people's word were considered good. You said you was gonna pay a debt, you paid your debt, uh, and that's the way and that's the way it ought to be with us today. We might have to sign the paperwork, but when we go down to sign the paperwork, people ought to say, I ain't worried about that person. I know who they are, where they go to church, and how they act up there at that place. They're going to pay their debts and do what they should. May God bless you to think about that as we go about serving the Lord in the coming week.